All right, it's time for Defund the FBI Part 2. Hey, this is Doc Washburn. I don't know how I'm going to be able to fit all of the FBI scandals into this episode of the Doc Washburn Show, but we're going to give it our best shot. And when I get through this report, you're going to be clamoring to defund the FBI. You're going to want to call your senators. You're going to want to call your congressmen and ask them, what are they waiting for? Now, we already told you on our last episode about how the Secret Service and the FBI were in on the January 6th setup, pointing to the pipe bomb outside the DNC building hoax. If you missed that, you really need to go back and listen to the last episode of the Doc Washburn Show. We do have an update on that story, but we got so much more. Now, we're going to tell you what the FBI knew about COVID-19 and how early they knew it. Now, Michael Schellenberger is a great reporter. He's one of the journalists that Elon Musk allowed to dig into the Twitter files when Elon bought Twitter. Now he has breaking news about COVID. What the FBI knew and how early they knew it. By the way, it only costs $9 a month to subscribe to all of Michael Schellenberger's reporting through Twitter. If you're not on Twitter, don't be afraid of it. They call it X now, but I, I, it'll all be always be Twitter to me. You don't have to, you know, if you get on Twitter or X as it's now called, you don't have to use your real name. Nobody has to know who you are. You never have to comment. You can just get on there to check out the news. Anyway, I highly recommend you subscribe to Michael Schellenberger's reporting Um, $9 a month, I certainly do. Okay, we got the breaking news reported by Schellenberger and Alex Gutentag over on Public. Now, I get it through Twitter, but Schellenberger is a co-founder of Public, a newsletter on Substack. Please don't get confused by all these different names. They cover stories on the most important issues of the day, from censorship and cities to mental health and addiction to energy, the environment. In 2023, Public was credited by the Wall Street Journal for publicly identifying three scientists at the Wuhan Institute of Virology, otherwise known as WIV, who were allegedly working on coronaviruses and had taken ill near the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic. Here's what Schellenberger and Gutentag are now reporting on this breaking news that just came out. U.S. intelligence community says there's no clear evidence that COVID leaked from a lab in China, but there is. And now we're the first to report that a Chinese source trusted by the FBI told the agency in early 2020 that the first person infected worked in the lab at Wuhan, China. Sources say in early 2020, a Chinese source trusted by the FBI said COVID leaked from that lab in Wuhan. The FBI's entire 25-person Chinese intelligence squad knew of reliable human intelligence that SARS-CoV-2 COVID leaked from the lab. And then they show a screenshot of a very nervous-looking FBI Director Christopher Wray testifying during a Senate 
Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs Committee on September 24th, 2020, five months after the FBI allegedly received information that COVID resulted from a Wuhan, China lab leak. Reporting continues. Over the last several months, public has reported on a growing body of evidence that the SARS-CoV-2 virus that caused the COVID pandemic escaped from a lab in Wuhan, China last year. Public and Racket were the first to report that U.S. government officials had identified that the first patients to become sick with COVID worked at the Wuhan Institute of Virology, the WIV. Now, public has learned from multiple sources that the FBI knew since at least March 2020, and that's when the lockdown started, that COVID was the result of a lab leak. A Chinese national from Wuhan, working as a confidential human source for the FBI, told their handler at the FBI's Chinese intelligence squad. The sources said it was probable that the FBI's whole Chinese intelligence squad of 25 people all knew about it. According to a source, the confidential human source told the FBI a person working at the Virology Institute lab in Wuhan, China, was infected, left the building, and spread the virus Outside the lab in Wuhan, it didn't have anything to do with the wet market or the bat soup story they were going with. The sources asked public to protect their identities and those of their colleagues. The sources say they are speaking up now out of concern over abuses of power within the FBI. They reached out to public after seeing our story yesterday about how scientists who Anthony Fauci's National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases had in the past funded, sought to insert a furin cleavage site right where it exists on SARS-CoV-2. Yet Fauci was head of the NIAID going back to the, the 80s. Anyway, the sources added that the FBI trusted the confidential human source because the person's information had been corroborated at least three times previously. The confidential human source was from Wuhan, had been vetted, and the person had provided information on three prior occasions that they were able to corroborate as true and reliable. Another source said the FBI had considered the information good intel. So, February 2023, FBI Director Christopher Wray told a reporter that the FBI has for quite some time now assessed that the origins of the pandemic are most likely a potential lab incident in Wuhan. But it was not clear until now how long the FBI knew, and despite the intelligence it obtained about COVID's origin, the FBI has not been entirely forthcoming. In July 2023, Senator Rand Paul tweeted, it's not coincidental that the FBI has repeatedly refused to meet with me and Senator Lindsey Graham. He said, I sent a letter to Jim Jordan, 
ahead of today's Republican judiciary hearing informing him of Chris Ray's failure to respond to multiple requests for information on COVID origins. The FBI's refusal to cooperate is unacceptable and cannot be tolerated. Okay, that's what Rand Paul tweeted out in July of 2023. Reporting continues, the U.S. government continues to play down the likelihood of a lab leak. In June of last year, the Office of the Director of National Intelligence, ODNI, released a new 10-page summary of U.S. intelligence about the potential lab leak from the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Although legally required to reveal the names of scientists at WIV who fell ill in 2019 as Public Act 118-2 requires the report did not declassify this information and claimed there is no direct evidence that COVID came from the lab. So they're legally required to do something, and they refuse to do it. And, of course, the problem is when the government passes a law that the government must obey and the government refuses to abide by the law, what is the remedy? Nobody goes to jail, right? So, now the fact that the FBI knew COVID came from a lab, at least as far back as March 2020, raises questions about why other U.S. government officials, including Anthony Fauci and researchers he had funded, continued to insist that a lab leak was implausible for several more years. Next, the anatomy of a cover-up. And they have a screenshot a screenshot of Senator Rand Paul questioning Dr. Fauci, White House Chief Medical Advisor and Director of the NIAID, during a Senate Health, Education, Labor, and Pensions Committee hearing, January 11, 2022. Now, on August 27, 2021, the Office of the Director of National Intelligence, the ODNI, released an unclassified summary of the assessment of COVID-19 origins and the report. ODNI wrote, four intelligence community elements and the National Intelligence Council assess with low confidence that the initial SARS-CoV-2 infection was most likely caused by natural exposure. But they say that one element in the intelligence community, the report said, assesses with moderate confidence that the first human infection with SARS-CoV-2 most likely was the result of a laboratory-associated incident, probably probably involving experimentation, animal handling, or sampling by the Wuhan Institute of Virology. These analysts give weight to the inherently risky nature of work on coronaviruses. It has since become clear that this assessment came from the FBI. However, the FBI has refused to declassify its report on the origins of COVID-19. I wonder why. Now, a whistleblower claimed last year that the CIA's assessment may have been influenced 
by then-director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, Anthony Fauci, who allegedly visited the CIA and pushed the paper entitled Proximal Origin of SARS-CoV-2. Records show that Fauci had prompted the paper which supposedly debunked the lab leak hypothesis. The whistleblower further alleged that six out of seven of the CIA's analysts had concluded a lab leak was the most likely origin of SARS-CoV-2, but the CIA changed its assessment of COVID's origin from lab leak to unknown after the intervention of senior agency personnel. Two sources said that the CIA may have been conflicted in investigating its origins because it didn't want to compromise investigations of the Wuhan lab that predated the outbreak of COVID-19. The whistleblower said there was a clear lack of interest and a robust, and a robust analysis of Chinese military connections to WIV research, connections between Chinese military and civilian research, and connections that could be drawn between U.S. research and WIV activity. Perhaps you've heard the stories. Did SARS-CoV-2 actually start at Fort Detrick, Maryland? Did it actually start at Fort Bragg, North Carolina? Was there a particular doctor named Barrick who was responsible for going from the U.S. to Wuhan? And what what part does uh, Peter Daszak and EcoHealth Alliance play in all this? I've been paying attention. Back to uh, Schellenberger's reporting. Former Director of National Intelligence John Ratcliffe suggested that there could be additional reasons behind the CIA's lack of disclosure about COVID's origins. Ratcliffe told Congress last year the challenges that I and other senior Trump administration officials encountered while in office include legitimate concerns about the closely held sources of our intelligence and the sensitive methods used to obtain it, as well as illegitimate roadblocks related to professional conflicts of interest and partisan politics. Now, Fauci may have also tried to influence the FBI in an email to Jeremy Farrar, head of the Wellcome Trust on January 31, 2020. Fauci wrote that Scripps virologist Christian Anderson had told him about the furin cleavage site and the circulating SARS-CoV-2 spike protein. Presumably, knowing this was a sign of engineering, Fauci wrote that if other scientists agreed, they should report it to the appropriate authorities. I would imagine that in the USA, that would be the FBI, and in the UK, it would be MI5. It would be important to quickly get confirmation of the cause of his concern by experts in the field of coronaviruses and evolutionary biology. In the meantime, I will alert my U.S. government official colleagues of my conversations with you and Christian and determine what further investigation they recommend. So that was an email from Fauci 
January 31st, 2020. Three days later, February 3rd, 2020, the National Academies of Science, Medicine, and Engineering hosted a call that included Fauci, Anderson, University of North Carolina researcher Ralph Barrick, and personnel from the FBI and ODNI. After this call, messages on the Slack channel show that Anderson and his colleagues who had believed the lab leak was the virus's probable origin appeared to change their views and began actively looking to find ways to disprove the lab origin theory. Anderson and one of his co-authors on the Proximal Origin paper, Robert Gary, testified last year that they had briefed intelligence agencies, one of which was the FBI. Now that is Michael Schellenberger with some incredible reporting. Michael Schellenberger and Alex Gutentag over on Public, which is a news site on Substack. But if you're on Twitter, you can subscribe to Schellenberger's reporting for just $9 a month. And I highly recommend it. Now, were you aware that uh, the feds were asking banks to comb customer data for MAGA and Trump terms? This has been widely reported, but if you have a life, maybe you didn't have time to check into this. Let me, let me tell you what's up. Michael Katz over Newsmax, one of the many articles on many different platforms that has a story. The federal government asked financial institutions to rummage through customer data if terms such as MAGA or Trump were used in transactions. This is what the House Select Subcommittee on the Weaponization of the Federal Government has now revealed, citing documents it obtained. In a news release from this House Select Subcommittee, it says transactions might also have been flagged by individuals who shopped at stores such as Cabela's or Dick's Sporting Goods or purchased religious texts like a Bible. This is crazy. Dick's, the FBI is way behind the times. Dick's Sporting Goods stopped selling guns several years ago. Cabela's or Dick's Sporting Goods. The committee said this kind of pervasive financial surveillance carried out in coordination with and at the request of federal law enforcement into Americans' private transactions is alarming and raises serious concerns about the FBI's respect for fundamental civil liberties. In the letter to the FBI Director Christopher Wray, Congressman Jim Jordan, Ohio, chair of the House Judiciary Committee and the Select Subcommittee, said he's seeking a transcribed interview from Peter Sullivan, senior private sector partner for outreach in the strategic partner engagement section of the FBI no later than January 31st. Jordan wrote testimony revealed in 2021 Bank of America provided the FBI voluntarily without any legal process. No warrant, no subpoena, no nothing, no affidavit, no nothing. Bank of America provided the FBI with a list of individuals 
who made transactions in the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area using a Bank of America credit or debit card between January 5th and January 7th, 2021. Jim Jordan wrote Steve Jensen, the FBI's then section chief of the Domestic Terrorism Operations Section, pulled the Bank of America information from FBI systems because, quote, the leads lacked allegations of foreign criminal conduct, unquote. This is nuts. Jordan's letter also said documents obtained by the committee and select subcommittee also show that FBI personnel, including Mr. Sullivan, made contact with and provided Bank of America with specific search query terms indicating that it was interested in all financial relationships with Bank of America customers transacting in Washington, D.C., and customers who had made any historical purchase of a firearm or who had purchased a hotel, Airbnb, or airline travel within a given date range. Jordan also wrote a letter to Noah Bischoff, former director of the Office of Stakeholder Integration and Engagement in the Strategic Operations Division of the Financial Crimes Enforcement Network, FinCEN seeking him to appear in front of the committee for a transcribed interview no later than January 31st. But in his letter to Bischoff, Jordan wrote, FinCEN distributed materials to financial institutions that, among other things, outline the typologies of various persons of interest and provide financial institutions with suggested search terms and merchant category codes for identifying transactions on behalf of federal law enforcement. Jordan also wrote, FinCEN warned financial institutions of extremism indicators that include transportation charges, such as bus tickets, rental cars, rental cars or plane tickets, for travel to areas with no apparent purpose, or the purchase of books, including religious texts like the Bible, and subscriptions to other media containing so-called extremist views. In other words, FinCEN urged large financial institutions to comb through the private, the private transactions of their customers for suspicious charges on the basis of protected political and religious expression. By the way, Michael Katz, reporter for Newsmax, says the FBI declined to comment in an email to Newsmax. Well, I'm, I'm shocked. So, so far, we got reporting from Michael Schellenberger that the FBI knew that COVID came out of a lab. as a lab leak from China as early as March 2020. Going to be saved a lot of lives. And we also have the FBI telling financial institutions, let us know if somebody buys a gun or a Bible. Kind of reminds you of Obama. Well, you got these people clinging to their guns and religion. Remember that? Remember that? I haven't forgotten about it. But there's more. There's so much more. We've got 
the Speaker of the House, new Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson, promising to hold the FBI accountable. Well, we'll see how that worked out. We also have Kamala Harris with an update on the January 6th pipe bomb setup. We also have a new court decision on the FBI stealing private property. You heard me right. From safety deposit boxes of American citizens who were not in any way suspected of committing crimes. We have have the FBI targeting and harassing journalists for years, for years. Matter of fact, a specific journalist that I have interviewed on the Doc Washburn Show. I'm going to try to fit it all in on this edition of the Doc Washburn Show, Defund the FBI Part 2. More coming up straight ahead. If you've tried to buy a car recently, you realize you may have a hard time finding what you're looking for. People I know have actually bought vehicles from hundreds of miles away from where they live. That's where Red River Auto comes in. Red River Auto is a big old car dealership in the middle of the USA that believes in freedom, including your freedom to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV the way you want to. You can buy online and they'll drive it to you no matter where you are. Red River Auto wants to make your car buying experience as easy and transparent as possible. Red River Auto Group has perfected the online buying process. Just go to redriverauto.com and pick from hundreds of new and used vehicles. You can purchase a vehicle online if you have any questions. One of Red River's trained experts will help you through the whole process. Red River Auto makes car buying online easy. Your whole car buying process is completely transparent. If you want to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV, order online from the nationwide car dealer that believes in freedom. The dealer that will deliver your vehicle to your front door, no matter where you live in the continental U.S., redriverauto.com. You'll be glad you did. I want to tell you about the best-kept secret in American healthcare. Are you having problems with sinuses and allergies? Are you experiencing dizziness, vertigo, problems with your blood sugar, fibromyalgia, eczema, psoriasis, migraines? The Arkansas Upper Cervical Center might be able to help you. Let me tell you how. Your skull weighs anywhere from 8 to 15 pounds. It rests on the top bone of your spinal column, the atlas or C1, which only weighs 2 ounces. So it's really easy for your atlas to get out of alignment. If it does, your whole spinal column can get kinked up like a chain. When that happens, your central nervous system isn't able to communicate with the rest of your body as it's designed to do. I had severe hay fever for five or six weeks every spring all my life and migraines year-round. When I got my atlas adjusted, the hay fever went away and the migraines went away for good. Whatever malady you're suffering from, do yourself a favor. Call my friends at the Arkansas Upper Cervical Center, 501-279-2009, for a free consultation. They've helped so many people I know. Please call them to see if they can help you. That number for your free consultation is 501-279-2009. If you're outside Central Arkansas, go to their website, turnmypoweron.com. Click on the tab that says find a doctor near you, and I sure hope you can. You want to drop your big liberal cell phone carrier? Patriot Mobile, America's only Christian conservative wireless carrier, is a perfect solution. Patriot Mobile has exceptional nationwide coverage and uses the same towers the main carriers use. 
Patriot Mobile guarantees your coverage. Patriot Mobile has plans to fit any budget, along with great discounts for our veteran and first responder heroes, as well as multi-line users. And switching to Patriot Mobile usually only takes 15 to 20 minutes. When you switch to Patriot Mobile, you shift your support from the leftist progressive agendas of Big Mobile to the Christian conservative causes of Patriot Mobile. Patriot Mobile donates a portion of every dollar earned to organizations that fight for causes you care about. A portion of every dollar they earn is given back to the causes that support organizations that fight for First Amendment religious freedom, freedom of speech, Second Amendment right to bear arms, sanctity of life, and the needs of our veterans and first responders. Now more than ever, it's important to band together and support companies that share our conservative values. Switching is easy. Just do what I did. Go to PatriotMobile.com. Or call their U.S.-based customer service team at 972-PATRIOT. Make sure you use promo code DOC, that's D-O-C, for free activation. Uh, There's an independent journalist named Steve Baker. He was at the Capitol January 6, 2021. And he has, for immediate release, a statement from his attorneys regarding the ongoing threat of prosecution from the Justice Department. And it begins with a statement from Steve Baker, January 22nd, 2024. This is the guy I've interviewed. He's, he's legit. He said, my name is Stephen Baker, and I'm a journalist. I'm now employed by Blaze Media. That's uh, Glenn Beck's outfit. He says, but I've been a freelance writer and journalist for more than 25 years. I've covered newsworthy events around the country for over 10 years. I went to Washington, D.C. on January 6, 2021, just like dozens of other journalists, and I covered the events of the day. For more than 30 months, it has been said to me by representatives of the Department of Justice that I am under investigation, and twice I have been told that an indictment charging me with crimes would be filed within a matter of of days for the past eight months i have been reviewing non-public closed circuit television video and body-worn camera video in the possession of congress at the invitation of the speaker of the house i have found and published stories about video evidence that contradicts claims made by the department of justice and evidence presented by the DOJ in various trials of the January 6th defendants. After not having been indicted, after not having indicted me for three years, it is clear that any move to do so now will be in retaliation for my reporting, first, about apparently perjured testimony by key government witnesses, Harry Dunn and David Lazarus, and now about the true identity of the passerby who discovered the pipe bomb outside the DNC headquarters a short distance from the Capitol. The so-called passerby was actually a U.S. Capitol police officer. He says, I will not be intimidated. I will continue to report the findings of my investigations into the evidence being made available to me to review. I have followed and reported on dozens of trials of January 6th defendants, and the more I investigate, the greater is my unease 
at what is being done in the name of, quote, justice, unquote. So that's Steve Baker's statement. Now we have his attorney's statement on the threatened prosecution of investigative journalist. The undersigned attorneys have volunteered to represent Steve Baker and any criminal proceeding brought against him by the U.S. Department of Justice. We all became acquainted with Steve over the past 18 months, beginning with his daily coverage from inside the courtroom and the first trial of members of the Oath Keeper organization from September to November 2022. Steve Baker was at the Capitol on January 6th, capturing the events of that day on video and taking notes for later reporting. Steve Baker has provided access to his video and his reporting on the events of January 6th to numerous media outlets. In July 2021, Steve was first advised he was under investigation in connection with the events of January 6th. In August 2021, an interview with the F. B.I. was arranged but canceled at the last minute by the government. In October 2021, Steve submitted to a two-hour interview with FBI agents about his actions and the events of January 6. In November 2021, Steve's attorney was told in an email that Steve could be charged, quote, within the week, unquote. That was 26 months ago. No charges have yet been filed. In August 2023, the DOJ served Steve with a grand jury subpoena for videos taken by him on January 6. Steve complied and produced the requested material. On December 14, 2023, the FBI agents contacted Steve's attorney and advised him that charges were about to be unsealed and that Steve should appear in federal court in Raleigh, North Carolina on December 19, 2023. The very next day, December 15th, the same FBI agent contacted Steve's attorney to advise him that the matter was being postponed. A member of Steve's legal team spoke with the federal prosecutor in charge of the investigation shortly thereafter and was told that a final decision on whether to charge Steve had not yet been made. He would not disclose what possible charges were being considered. During the call, an explicit assurance was given that if Steve was indicted, it would be communicated to Steve's legal team and a date would be scheduled for Steve's voluntary appearance in the District of Columbia for arraignment. Steve would not be subject to the public spectacle of a surprise arrest in the early morning hours at his residence. Notwithstanding his knowledge of all the above, Steve has been unrelenting in continuing to report on his investigation into the events of January 6th and the legal proceedings taking place in the District of Columbia over the past three years. Hundreds of hours of work by Steve resulted in him uncovering video evidence that calls into question the truthfulness of testimony by two key 
prosecution witnesses. In the first Oath Keeper trial, U.S. Police, U.S. Capitol Police Officers Harry Dunn and David Lazarus. Lazarus was on the dignitary protection detail of former Speaker Nancy Pelosi. The video evidence discovered by Steve contradicts Lazarus' testimony as to his location with respect to a key allegation against some Oath Keeper defendants. The video evidence discovered by Steve shows Lazarus was at a different location in the Capitol complex. At the time he testified, he witnessed an alleged confrontation between Officer Dunn and Oath Keepers. Lazarus' testimony was critical to corroborating Harry Dunn's version of events because Dunn had changed his description of those events multiple times, starting with his original reports and interviews, followed by his statements to the January 6th committee, then the description in his book, and finally his testimony during the Oath Keeper trial. Steve has been reporting on this issue for several months, including talking to Harry Dunn multiple times, but it was only eight days ago that Steve received permission to publish the video evidence showing Lazarus at a different location than Dunn when the alleged confrontation happened. More recently, on Wednesday, January 17th, five days ago, well, seven days ago now, Steve and the Blaze were the first to report that multiple congressional sources confirmed that the person who first discovered the pipe bomb at the DNC headquarters near the Capitol in the early afternoon, January 6th, was not a passerby, but rather was a U.S. Capitol police officer in plain clothes for three years. The Department of Justice, U.S. Capitol Police, have withheld the identity of this individual. For nearly a year, the Department of Justice misrepresented in court filings the then-Vice President-elect Kamala Harris was inside the Capitol ahead of the, ahead of the proceedings involving the counting of electoral votes. That turned out not to be true. As evidence showed, she was at the DNC headquarters a short distance from the Capitol at the very time the pipe bomb was supposedly discovered by a so-called passerby outside the building. As Steve Baker's reporting revealed, video evidence shows a near total disinterest by the Secret Service agents assigned to Vice President-elect Kamala Harris's protective detail when the pipe bomb was supposedly found. Curiously, the Secret Service cannot produce any of its various forms of internal communications, audio recordings or otherwise, from January 6, 2021. The latest reveal by Steve and other media has created a firestorm of media frenzy because... There's simply no question that the public and press have been deceived about the pipe bomb incident. The Department of Justice was forced to correct misrepresentations made in court documents about the location of VP elect Harris, having alleged in many early cases that she was inside the Capitol when, in fact, she was the DNC headquarters. The belief among many in the January 6th defense community has long been that the pipe bombs at the DNC and RNC offices were a ruse meant to draw manpower 
of the U.S. Capitol Police away at the same time the crowd was anticipated to begin arriving for planned and permitted protests scheduled to take place following the end of the rally at the Ellipse. Did you know that protesters had official permission to do speeches and even music on the steps of the U.S. Capitol on January 6, 2021. Hardly anybody knows that. I didn't know it until I interviewed Steve Baker, and he told me that some of the, um, the programs for the rally that was supposed to go on the, on the uh, steps of the U.S. Capitol that day came out in testimony during trials. I think that's where he first found out about it because when when he was showing me this stuff, I was like, so how could people be prosecuted for being on the grounds, not inside, but on the grounds of the U.S. Capitol? Why were there restricted area signs up when U.S. Park Service had given permission to, to hold a rally there? And he's like, yeah, that's a good question. Anyway, it is believed that the letter continues from Steve Steve Baker's lawyers. It is believed that the need to address the pipe bombs was going to be offered as an excuse for why the U.S. Capitol Police were undermanned and unprepared to maintain security at the Capitol grounds. There was a politically motivated desire for the scheduled and permitted protest activities in the afternoon of January 6th to become an unruly spectacle. But an excuse had to be created for why the U.S. Capitol Police, over 2,000 men strong, would not be able to control the situation. Such an excuse could not create embarrassment for the leadership of that force. All of the above information is put forward here because of the following. We now have information that Steve's reporting has so agitated officials in multiple federal agencies that an effort is now underway to find a basis to charge Steve with more serious crimes and to use those more serious crimes as a pretext for early morning raids to execute search and arrest warrants on him and his family. If this is true, and search and arrest warrants are used to drag Steve out of his house in the early morning hours someday soon, that will be evidence of retaliation against a journalist exercising his First Amendment rights to report information that is embarrassing to government officials. This will be another breaking of institutional norms by the Department of Justice. Among the undersigned counsel are former prosecutors with the Department of Justice, each having served more than 20 years, who have witnessed the breaking of other norms of DOJ policy and procedure over the past three years, such as using arrest warrants and SWAT raids to apprehend persons charged with only misdemeanor offenses. Now, a journalist reporting facts embarrassing the government is being targeted for prosecution. There were dozens of members of the media working for various organizations 
as well as numerous independent freelance journalists like Steve, present at the Capitol on January 6th. Many went inside the Capitol building to, to capture what was happening there. We had been compiling a list of all such journalists over the past several months. We will be calling upon those journalists and their employers to publicly stand in favor of the First Amendment and denounce any effort by the Department of Justice to prosecute Steve. Steve's actions on January 6, 2021 have been known to the Department of Justice for three years. But it's only now, after Steve has broken two major stories, greatly embarrassing to the DOJ, that he is possibly being targeted for arrest and possibly felony prosecution. Any action taken to put him in handcuffs, hold him in custody, and have him transported to court by federal law enforcement will be nothing other than retaliation for his recent reporting. As Steve's counsel, all volunteers, issued the following challenge to the Department of Justice. If you are so convinced in the strength of your case against Steve Baker that you filed charges against him in the District Court for the District of Columbia, we invite you to join in a stipulation with the defense to have Steve's case tried in the United States District Court for the Eastern District of North Carolina or the Northern District of Texas. Are citizens of those two districts not suitable for jurors in Steve's case? Is the federal judiciary in those two districts not able to provide a fair and impartial trial? On what basis does the United States Department of Justice believe the United States can only get a fair trial in the District of Columbia and not one of those United States. And that is signed by Steve Baker's attorneys, James Lee Bright, Matthew P. Saradini, Bradford L. Geyer, Philip A. Linder, William L. Shipley, who goes by Shipwreck Crew on Twitter, and Edward L. Tarpley, Jr. That is strongly written. Now, Steve Baker on Twitter follows up saying, I want to personally thank these men for their commitment, not just to my fight, but also to the fight for important underlying constitutional issues in my case and the blatant selective prosecution of voices that don't align with the current administration. He says the Justice Department and FBI have put me through investigations and threats of prosecution for over two and a half years, while more than 100 identified individuals on the FBI's January 6th most wanted list for violence against police officers and media have not been charged. These weaponized federal agencies continue to allocate resources, charge, arrest, SWAT, prosecute, imprison, and destroy the lives of alleged misdemeanor January 6th offenders while ignoring far more serious crimes of all types. 
They also continue to prosecute and threaten independent journalists who did not publish or submit their stories with the correct narrative while ignoring the actions of at least 60 other journalists who also entered restricted spaces without so-called permission. Now, within days of my having broken significant stories about perjury, cover-ups, and other improprieties within the Capitol Police, the FBI, the Justice Department and Secret Service, we have learned that the DOJ is looking for face-saving measures against me. This is despite the fact these agencies know I did no violence or property damage on January 6th, and I'm not a part of MAGA or any type of militia organization. The investigating FBI agents in my voluntary interview even thanked me for doing no violence on January 6th. Referring to January 6th prosecutions of nonviolent January 6ers, former Attorney General Bill Barr told Politico, quote, if this administration had given the same attention to other areas of crime, we'd have the safest nation in the world. It's ridiculous, unquote. He's exactly right. It's time for this to stop. But if this is the fight that the Justice Department wants, I'm honored to have a committed and growing team of attorneys, including former federal prosecutors, willing to make this most public January 6th legal battle the nation has witnessed thus far. Well, God bless Steve Baker and Godspeed because it's just outrageous. Now, did you know that the FBI stole a lot of stuff from people's safety deposit boxes? Yeah. Have you heard about this story? Because it's probably been almost a year since I've talked about it, but some of them are suing the feds. And I have an update on that story coming right up on the Doc Washburn Show. Mike Lindell says because of your amazing support for MyPillow 2.0, he's expanded MyPillow's USA manufacturing and jobs. So he's clearing out his percale bedsheets by giving them to you at closeout prices. King size percale bedsheets, only $39 a set. Queen size, only $35 a set. Full size, $29 and twin size, just $25. Use promo code DWS to take advantage of this once in a lifetime offer. Right now, Mike's biggest My Slippers closeout sale ever is on. Get Mike's all season My Slippers and Sandals at clearance prices. Mike's all season moccasin slippers are just $25. Mike's My Slipper Sandals are just $19.50. They're both made with Mike's patented impact gel that absorbs and relieves pressure so you can comfortably wear them all day long. Just use promo code DWS for huge discounts. Remember, DWS stands for Doc Washburn Show. MyPillow.com. Quantities are extremely limited at these amazing prices, so please order now. Just use promo code DWS. You know, the great Ronald Reagan once said, inflation is as violent as a mugger, as frightening as an armed robber, and as deadly as a hitman. Have you thought about the benefits of investing in precious metals? Here are five profound benefits. Number one, investing in precious metals is a hedge against inflation. 
Number two, it's a great way to diversify your portfolio. Number three, asset liquidity. Number four, precious metals tend to be a store of value. They don't tend to depreciate over the long haul. And last but not least, number five, precious metals can be a hedge against geopolitical uncertainty and the struggling U.S. dollar. Andrew Sorcini with Beverly Hills Precious Metals has been involved in gold and silver for over 40 years. Beverly Hills Precious Metals brings precious metals to the homes of everyday American citizens. Mike Flynn told us about them, and they are our gold buyer of choice. To find out more, just Google Beverly Hills Precious Metals. Make sure you ask about the general Mike Flynn silver coin and tell them Doc Washburn sent you. Beverly Hills Precious Metals helps folks protect their finances, wealth, and investments. Let me ask you something. Why continue shopping big box stores if you can get the items you need from a family-owned company? Now you can get around this crazy inflation by shopping factory direct at a family-owned made-in-America manufacturer. Americans are walking away from the big box conglomerates and deciding to buy only USA. Join with fellow patriots to cut off the cash flow of the big woke corporations that are trying to destroy our country. These products include fresh American-raised beef, raised in the Montana mountains near Yellowstone. This beef is known as Never Ever. Never has the animal ever been exposed to antibiotics, hormones, or vaccines. This prime or high-choice beef is shipped directly to your door. Pricing and availability is exclusive only to our members and isn't shipped anywhere else in the world. Let's start voting with our dollars to make sure our purchases are supporting companies that promote freedom. Email us at buyonlyusa at proton.me, and I'll have one of my guys contact you. Buyonlyusa at proton.me. Have you heard the story about the FBI stealing the belongings of people out of safety deposit boxes. No, I'm, I'm, I'm not making this up. Over the Institute for Justice website, ij.org. Short article entitled, U.S. Private Vaults Seizure. Subtitle, Security Deposit Box Owners Demand FBI Return Property Seized Without a Warrant. Were you aware of this? It's, it's, it's a concept called civil asset forfeiture, and it should be against the law, but it isn't. And, well, I think it is in this case. Usually it's, it's used against people who are suspected of having committed crimes, but not in these cases. Now, here's the deal. Paul and Jennifer Snitko are model citizens. Paul's a retired aerospace engineer who has held multiple security clearances, and Jennifer is an entertainment lawyer. Neither one of them has ever been in trouble with the law. Yet federal investigators broke open their private security deposit box, searched through all the contents, and seized their property. Paul and Jennifer, who live in Los Angeles, needed a private space to safely store their prized possessions. They found that U.S. private vaults in Beverly Hills was convenient, secure, and had better hours. So they stored precious items like Paul's flight log and watches, 
he and his father earned from years of service at their jobs in their rented box. But the government broke open the Snitko's private space on March 22, 2021. That's almost three years ago. When FBI agents raided that business, U.S. private vaults. Now, the raid was the result of an indictment accusing U.S. private vaults, the business, of money laundering and other crimes. But in executing the warrant, the government didn't just seize the company's business property. Upon the pretense of wanting to take a relatively worthless metal rack of boxes, federal agents broke into every security deposit box and emptied them of their contents. The FBI made a video record of the contents of each box, including opening up sealed envelopes and holding the letters they contained up to the camera. And the FBI initiated civil forfeiture proceedings against millions of dollars of property without telling box holders what they were accused of doing wrong. You know, it kind of reminds me that... um, the guy that worked for Stalin, uh, Berea, you know, the guy who was in charge of the uh, secret police for Stalin, Lavrenti Pavlovich Berea, Marshal of the Soviet Union and State Security Administrator, Chief of the Soviet Security, Serial Rapist, and Chief of the People's Commissariat for Internal Affairs under Joseph Stalin, who said, show me the man, and I'll show you the crime. Yeah, that's what it reminds me of. Anyway, going back to uh, Institute for Justice here, saying that uh, the FBI never told any of the box holders what they were accused of doing wrong, They say everyone has a right to contract for a private, secure place to store their property. But no place can be secure if the government gets away with what it did here. That's why Paul and Jennifer, along with five other plaintiffs, have teamed up with the Institute for Justice to challenge the government's search and seizure. After granting preliminary relief, holding that the government violated the Fourth Amendment and the Due Process Clause by trying to forfeit seized property without giving reason why, the court in October 2021 certified the case as a class action. Now, Paul and Jennifer are fighting for a judgment that the government never should have opened any of these security deposit boxes in the first place. Holding the government to account is critical to prevent the government from doing this to other security deposit box owners, storage unit renters, or anyone else who rents a private space. Okay, so that lays the foundation here. And then we have the update from January 23rd of this year. It says, This morning, a ninth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals panel unanimously ruled against the government in a long-running class-action lawsuit from the Institute for Justice on behalf of people who rented security deposit boxes at U.S. private vaults. The decision slammed the FBI for overstepping its authority 
when it opened up hundreds of renters' boxes, conducted criminal searches of them all, and attempted to permanently keep everything in the boxes worth more than $5,000, all without charging any box renter with a crime. Institute for Justice senior attorney Rob Johnson said, today's opinion draws a line in the sand to ensure something like this never happens again. If this had come out the other way, the government could have exported this raid as a model across the country. Now, the government's on notice its actions violated the Fourth Amendment. Judge Mylon D. Smith, writing for the court, likened the FBI's actions to the abuses that motivated the Bill of Rights. In his opinion, he said, the government failed to explain why applying the inventory exception to this case would not open the door to the kinds of writs of assistance the British authorities used prior to the founding to conduct limitless searches of an individual's personal belongings. It was those very abuses of power, after all, that led to adoption of the Fourth Amendment in the first place. Now, Jennifer Snitko, one of the people suing here, said, we knew that what the FBI did to us and so many others was wrong and today's decision is a validation. It took courage for Paul and me to be among the first people to stand up publicly and call out the government, but we're proud to have fought for our rights. This is a good day for our country, and the principle of the government's power to search our property has limits. Now, for years, the FBI and Department of Justice insisted that they did nothing wrong at U.S. private vaults, even though the warrant authorizing the raid only permitted the FBI to open boxes to identify their owners and safeguard the contents, agents rummaged through hundreds of boxes, ran currency they found, in front of drug-sniffing dogs, and make copies of people's most personal records. The DOJ then filed a massive administrative forfeiture claim to take more than $100 million in cash and other valuables, again, without charging any individual with a crime. Institute for Justice Senior Attorney Robert Frommer said, the government promised the magistrate that would not conduct a criminal search or seizure of the boxes. After years of litigation, today's opinion shows that not to be true. The government lied to justify its forfeiture scheme, and in the end, the lie was its undoing. Now, again, that's from the Institute for Justice website, ij.org. Article entitled, Federal Appeals Court Slams FBI's Actions and security deposit box raid. By the way, the Institute for Justice is a national nonprofit law firm dedicated to upholding individuals' rights. It's joined in this case by local counsel Nile Vora and Jeff Atterbury of the Vora Law Firm there in Southern California. Y'all, this is outrageous. And yet there's more. 
It is time for our Tweet of the Day, brought to you by RedRiverAuto.com. Red River Auto is a big old car dealership in the middle of the USA. Believes in freedom, including your freedom to buy the car, truck, van, or SUV of your choice the way you want to. Online, have it delivered to your front door anywhere in the continental USA. Now, today's Tweet of the Day is a three-parter. We start with a tweet from U.S. Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson, who says, Today marks one year since the FBI designated traditional Catholics as radical and sent spies into their places of worship. Government agencies were designed to protect the American people, but they have been weaponized by the Biden administration. House Republicans must bring accountability to agencies targeting Americans based on their faith. And he has a little uh, video clip with the News Nightly program from the EWTN cable channel. You might not be familiar with EWTN. It stands for Eternal Word Television Network. It is a Roman Catholic cable channel. And so let's see what, uh, see what Mike Johnson says there. You were on the Judiciary and the Weaponization Committee. You know, during that time in the Weaponization Committee, we saw the FBI uh, bring case against uh, the Catholic Church, even putting agents inside of local churches. What more can Congress do to prevent this? Well, Congress has a very important responsibility of, of oversight, and we have to bring accountability for agencies that have been spun out of control. Really, we use the term weaponized because that's exactly what it is. We have uh, agencies that were designed to protect and serve the American people in so many cases in recent years, and by the administration, have been turned against them. And that's just what the facts show. It's alarming. So we called it out. We've drawn attention to it, and we're demanding accountability for those who are in charge. Okay, so that's Speaker of the House Mike Johnson demanding accountability for what the FBI has done in targeting Roman Catholics and other people of faith. Now, the great Jesse Kelly, talk show host out of Houston, said the most GOP thing in the history of GOP things is wrapping up negotiations to fully fund an evil secret police agency, talking about the FBI, that's attacking your people only to go on TV and talk about the evils of said secret police agency. Yeah. Hold them accountable while you're, uh, while you're increasing their funding, while you're making sure they don't uh, any of them miss any paycheck. You're not going to shut down the government because the FBI must continue apace. Uh, the great John Hawkins over at CultureCidal.com responds to this saying, Republicans in Congress before the election say, once we have control of the House, we'll have complete control over what gets funded and what doesn't help us fight for you. Republicans in Congress after the election, yeah, let's go ahead and fund everything anyway. And that's what they do. So that's your Tweet of the Day today, brought to you by RedRiverAuto.com. But today is a special day. And Red River Auto is a special sponsor of ours. And yes, we do have a second Tweet of the Day. Kamala Harris 
Julie Kelly says in a follow-up to Darren J. Beatty reporting on pipe bomb discovery over at uh, Revolver.News, I ask again, why was Kamala Harris at the DNC, and why are she, the media, the DOJ, and the January 6th committee memory-holding her near-death experience on January 6th? She didn't mention it in her 5.15 p.m. tweet on January 6, 2021, or her speech the next day, or ever. No reporter has ever asked Kamala Harris about it. DOJ lied about her whereabouts for a year. FBI never mentions her presence at the DNC when it pretends to offer a reward leading to arrest of the pipe bomber. Joe Biden and Merrick Garland make up police deaths related to that day, but never condemn the white supremacist MAGA bomber still on the loose who tried to kill the first female vice president in history? What? And so now we do want to hear what Kamala Harris has to say. So let's turn the volume up on that. I was at the Capitol that morning, and then I was um, in a meeting, and I was told that I should leave. And then I was taken to a secure location with my husband. We watched in horror. You are absolutely right. It was seismic. It was an inflection moment. You know, sometimes we think an inflection moment is the bringing of something that is positive. No. It was, a, in many ways, a reckoning. It was an exposure of the vulnerability of our democracy. But no mention of being at the DNC and almost being blown up by a pipe bomb. Now, in the interest of full disclosure, that is a video clip of Kamala Harris speaking to Jane Pauley, who was on the NBC Today show for many years. Now, she's on CBS News Sunday morning. And Jane Pauley, sitting there with her eyes half closed, just nodding her head affirmatively, like, okay, you can do this, and we got to get the narrative out and just get it right. And what Kamala said was kind of edited together. Now, the folks over at uh, Nova Campaigns, Northern Virginia Issues, they point out that this went out over the television airwaves January 18th, 2021, when she was still vice president-elect. I was at Capitol that morning, and then I was in a meeting, and I was told that I should leave, and then I was taken to a secure location with my husband. We watched in horror. And they asked, going to or leaving DNC? Who said to leave? When? From where? Why? And then we have Kingmaker. I don't know his real name. He goes by Kingmaker, a guy I follow on Twitter who says, in light of Darren Beatty's reporting over at Revolver.News on the DNC pipe bomb, this statement by Kamala Harris is a cover-up. I was at the Capitol, 
and then in a meeting? Then she was asked to leave and go to a secure place with her husband? Where is any mention of a bomb outside the DNC? Well, there's not. It's a cover-up. So, it certainly makes one wonder, doesn't it? That's your double-triple tweet of the day, brought to you by RedRiverAuto.com. Red River Auto, the big old car dealership in the middle of the USA that believes in freedom, including your freedom to buy the car, truck, van, or SUV of your choice the way you want to. Online, have it delivered to your front door anywhere in the continental USA. You've been listening to episode 423 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show. The views and opinions expressed on the Doc Washburn Show do not necessarily reflect those of our advertisers, but they love us and we love them. If you have any questions for us, email us at contact at docwashburnshow.com. Today's program has been produced by Tim Terrible, directed by Mick Messing. This has been a terribly messy production. Portions of today's show will be taken overseas and dropped. If you'd like a transcript of today's episode of the all-new Doc Washburn Show, simply peel the roof off a Rolls-Royce panel truck and send it to Mansour's Computer Solutions, 7th floor of the Ephemeral B. Smoot Building, Whitehall, Arkansas, in care of Sheriff Mansour Sempier X, Senior Vice President, Engineering, IT, and Interoperability for the Doc Washburn Show. And that's the way it is, Wednesday, January 24th, 2024.